theme at the 2012 Mennonite Church Canada Assembly in Vancouver was dusting off the Bible for the 21st century. Historically, and even today, Christians use scripture to hit each other over the head with a particular view of the truth. But is that how the Bible should be used? Is this what God intends for us? Hi, my name is Dan Dick, and I'm your host for Church Matters. In our last episode, we heard Tom Yoder Newfield, Bible scholar, author, and professor at Conrad Grable University College in Kitchener-Waterloo. Tom illustrated how Paul used Scripture with the Corinthians in the midst of disagreement. In this episode, we'll hear part two of Tom's teaching. He used 2 Corinthians 3 to illustrate the Apostle Paul's strategy in using Scripture with the Corinthians. But before we hear Tom, I'll read the latter part of 2 Corinthians 3, starting with verse 7. Now if the ministry of death, chiseled in letters on stone tablets, came in glory so that the people of Israel could not gaze at Moses' face because of the glory of his face, a glory now set aside, how much more will the ministry of the Spirit come in glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, much more does the ministry of justification abound in glory. Indeed, what once had glory has lost its glory because of the greater glory. For if what was set aside came through glory, much more has the permanent come into glory. Since, then, we have such a hope, we act with great boldness, not like Moses who put a veil over his face to keep the people of Israel from gazing at the end of the glory that was being set aside, but their minds were hardened. Indeed, to this very day, when they heard the reading of the Old Covenant, that same veil is still there, since only in Christ is it set aside. Indeed, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Now we'll hear Tom Yoder Neufel as he dusts off the Bible for us. My letters aren't the center of the story. The center of the story is the letter Christ is writing with you as the pieces of the alphabet. Who am I? I'm a scribe. In fact, my letters to you are meant to sort of help this letter be legible. As Paul himself calls himself, I am a diakonos, a servant of the new covenant. But Christ is the author. We're a bit fooled, aren't we, the way we've come to use the word New Testament. It took till the second century before somebody said, let's call those writings New Testament. And so for us, New Testament is almost completely a term of, we, we say, what is the New Testament? 27 documents. So it's, it's, it's written material. When Paul uses it, he uses it the way Jeremiah used it. New Testament is when God's will enters our lives and becomes us, and we become together public messianic communication. Not with ink, but with the Spirit. The Spirit that lives, that transforms lives into visible alphabet. Verse 6 
It has become proverbial. The letter kills, the spirit gives life. What do you say? Well, that phrase pretty well sums up Jeremiah 31. The letter, Torah written on tablets, is what that's shorthand for, killed in that when Torah was broken, judgment and catastrophe befell people. Spirit, in contrast, the breath, the life-giving energy of, uh, of, of God, uh, is inscribed into the will of people, as we, as we said before. I said before, Paul is deeply immersed in Scripture. But here's a doozer of a twist. If you listen carefully to Jeremiah 31, the day will come when I will write a new covenant. For whom? The house of Israel and the house of Judah. To whom is Paul saying this? You, formerly God's enemies, strangers, aliens, ungodly Gentiles, you're becoming part of this letter. Can you imagine the, tr- the trip Paul had to take as a Pharisee to not only believe in Jeremiah 31, but to celebrate that that text was coming real in people who were always outsiders? The Corinthians have no idea what a miracle is taking place. What a shocker, especially for biblically trained people, this would have represented. There's another big surprise right at the end. In Exodus 33 and 34, there is the episode of Moses going into the tent of meeting, or the tent of revelation, as it's sometimes referred. And whenever he would go in there, he would, cover, he would take the veil off his face, and he would commune with God. I love the way Exodus puts this. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then whenever Moses would come out, he would put a veil over because he was so radiant. We might call him Moses of the Radiance. But listen to this. We all... See, we're used to thinking of Paul, Apostle Paul, Saint Paul, the writer of Scripture. He's on a pedestal. Saint Paul. He's talking about revelation. It's taking place. Who's all there? Not just Paul and his trusted companions. We all, we all together with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror. Talk about face-to-face. When you look in the mirror, whose face do you see? This has been really confusing for translators. How do you get this right? Because presumably this is seeing God face-to-face, but if you're looking at a mirror, who's being reflected? Is God's face being reflected, or is our face being reflected in the mirror? Exactly. And that's inherent in the image we have that you and I bear the image of God. Think about the wonder of what it means for Paul to say, we all together are in the tent, being transformed from one degree of glory to another into the image of God. Very few points here to conclude. The first point I want to make is that Paul is able to make these astonishing remarks because He is fully immersed in Scripture. He knows the Bible. He can summon it up even in the middle of a nasty fight. But he knows it well enough to summon it up in order to bring healing, in order to surprise the people he's fighting with with a word of grace. That's different than using the Bible 
to clobber your enemy. Let me surprise you. I'm going to haul out the Bible. Here's a word of grace. But he's also nimble enough to use the Bible in ways that recognize the new thing that he could never, as a Pharisee, have anticipated. It'd be one thing for the Jews to gather and say, the day of the Lord has dawned, the New Testament is being written on our hearts. We'll be even more special than we were before, and even more different from those Gentiles. Paul the Pharisee, the servant of the New Testament, needs to be nimble enough to say, don't you know what Christ is doing in this group? You don't know how to eat together. Some of you are sleeping with prostitutes. You're taking each other to court. You don't know how to have communion together. Some of you are drunk before the others even get there. You are Christ's letter. He and the Corinthians together are living in the unfolding story that God is writing, that the Messiah is writing. Uh, In chapter uh, 5, Paul has these words, We no longer regard anyone from a human point of view. If anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. Paul knows the Bible well enough to be on the lookout for new creation. Where is the Scripture being? Where is it coming alive? And to be nimble enough to recognize the surprising ways Scripture comes true. If people treated the Bible as a manual, they would never have recognized Jesus as a Messiah. If people treated Jeremiah like a manual, they would never have been able to say that to Gentiles. But they need Jeremiah 31 to be able to say that to Gentiles. We need the Bible in order to, in a sense, live within the surprises of the God to whom the Bible gives witness. I had some other things to say. I don't need to. But I do want to close with a wonderful image. I've often thought of the Bible as a kind of sign, uh, as a pointer. And sometimes I think when we really think we're respecting the Bible, we sit down in front of the sign and we analyze it and we are just really struck by the beautiful artwork that went into that fantastic poster and that sign. And we may, even if we're Bible scholars or sign scholars, uh, argue over the chemical makeup of the pigment that was used. And then we forget that the poster was announcing an event. Or the sign was pointing us in a certain direction. Without the poster, without the sign, without the GPS, you might not have gotten there. But the GPS is not an ornament. I don't have one, but I'm jealous for those of you who do. A poster is not simply a work of art. There is no point in having directions if you don't go there. The Bible is a pointer that is intended to point us to life, to inform us of who we are, to remind us that we are the work of the Messiah wanting to communicate God's love to the world. And the Bible itself tells us to be on the lookout for surprises in the ways that will come about. Let's ground our hopes Let's ground our convictions in Scripture, but let's let Scripture make us alert to surprises we haven't anticipated. And let's be nimble enough to receive the the letter Christ is writing in our lives. 
When they were little, my kids loved watching the Disney film Aladdin. It's, it's, a, it's a, uh, an animated film, and what I remember is that there was Aladdin's lamp, and that when you rubbed the lamp, out came Robin Williams. And I understand from the making of the film, they could not control this guy. So they basically rubbed the lamp, let him do his thing, and then they did the animation afterwards. I, I have always thought of the Bible a little bit like that lamp. That when you rub it, out comes Robin Williams. When you dust off the Bible and you rub it, out comes the Holy Spirit, who will not easily be controlled, but will give life and will communicate to the world the astonishing, surprising, unanticipated reach of God's love. Words matter. Word texts matter. That's, why we're, that's what we're learning here by paying close attention to this text. Context matters. It matters that this was written in the middle of a fight. Lots of stuff we can learn. So careful attention to text matters. But they are the lamp that we should not forget to rub, so that the Holy Spirit can come out and give life to our readings and hearings and discernings and arguments. So, take your Bibles, dust them off, and rub them, and watch out for what comes out. Amen. That ends part two of our series on dusting off the Bible for the 21st century. Thanks to all our listeners, wherever you are, Church Matters is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Thanks so much. Please consider making a gift to Mennonite Church Canada so that we can continue to produce Church Matters for you. To give, just call 1-866-888-6785 or visit MennoniteChurch.ca. My name is Dan Dick and you've been listening to Church Matters. Know that you are called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Thanks for listening. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the way.